A Duff Said is brought to you by Sheldon Street Pizza. Visit them online at sheldonstreetpizza.com or stop by Sheldon's during your next trip to Lake Orion. Sheldon Street Pizza, the official pizza of A Duff Said. And by Fourth Coast Cider Works, quality craftsmanship, quality hard cider. You can check them out online at fourthcoastciderworks.com or come get a can or a howler at their Canterbury Village location. Not available for anyone under the age of 21. Please drink responsibly. the best local sports podcast in Michigan, and that's a Duff said. Thank you, Sam Ali, and thank you for hitting the play button on your favorite listening device of choice from wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is Duff Tyler, and that's a Duff said. My guest this week is a man that turned his passion for music and Detroit Tigers baseball into his very own spot in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Lansing resident Ben Hassinger wrote two songs about the Tigers. One is about legendary Detroit broadcaster Ernie Harwell. The other is a song that Ben wrote about the last game played at Tiger Stadium and Ben's farewell to the corner. We'll get to that later on, but we start by talking about Ben's official title, here in the state of Michigan. My conversation with Ben Hassinger starts now. So Ben, you are known as Michigan's ukulele ambassador. How did you get that title? (laughs) I gave it to myself. (laughs) Oh, you're self-anointed. I like that. Yes, I'm I'm self-appointed and, uh, you know, it doesn't pay a lot, but someone did get me a sash. (laughs) Nice. A nice sash. Yeah, so I feel quite official about that but you know i don't wear it around a lot because it seems a little pretentious so you know for special occasions i'll bring it out well you certainly have a lot of those because you go around the state of michigan teaching people how to play the ukulele and you one of the things you imparted on on me as far as the ukulele goes is that's how you say it it's not necessarily ukulele well the uh you know it's a hawaiian word and uh uh, I, the, the brief history is it came over from the Portuguese in the 1850s when a bunch of people from Portugal came over to the islands to work, brought their own uh, instruments, the machete and some others, and uh, they'd sit around after working all day and play ukulele, well, play their instruments, and uh, their fingers, you know, they were so, so quick at uh moving up and down the neck on the strings, the uh, native Hawaiians thought it was, well, that's like a little bug jumping on the strings. So ukulele means jumping flea. And that they, uh, their own version of those instruments, they named the ukulele just uh, in honor of how, how versatile or how virtuoso the players were that, uh, um, came over from Portugal and how quickly their fingers would play um, their instruments. 
And see, that's something that they noticed when they were seeing it being played. When did you first discover the ukulele? Well, believe it or not, I went to Hawaii in 2009, and there was an ukulele festival going on. I know it's of hard course. to believe. It's hard to believe, but really, what a coincidence. But uh, So this was the famous ukulele festival, Hawaii, um, that just uh, had its last... Uh, its last festival last year, which was an online festival. I think it was like their 53rd year. Um, uh, Hawaiian ukulele teaching legend Roy Sakuma had put it on all these years. So I went to this festival and I saw everybody from uh, a young Tamane Gardner, who's this just, she's, uh, there's a lot of uh, viral videos of her playing and she's just, theatrical and really fast and uh, Jake Shimabukuro who's known as the uh, Jimi Hendrix of the ukulele uh, built a Pia who was 103 I think that was one of his last gigs there there were uh, four women from Sweden playing ukulele and singing in Swedish <laughs> which I thought was pretty interesting and of course people from Hawaii people from Japan because Japan is really pretty close to Hawaii and uh, also a group called the Langley Ukulele Ensemble, which is was a group of high school students from um, uh, Vancouver, Canada. And uh, they were like a choir playing ukulele with this very energetic conductor. And it was just beautiful, you know, multiple parts and all this stuff. Everybody was smiling. Everybody was having a good time. And... Uh, I go, boy, this is this is it, you know. I want to I want to get going with the ukulele, and I had played guitar, you know, since I was fifteen or whatever. So many, quite a few years, and I knew about the ukulele, but I hadn't really done much with it. So um, I contacted uh, my friend Stan Werbin, who owns Elderly Instruments here in Lansing, and he's always been a proponent of the ukulele. And we got the Lansing area ukulele group started, which was a big you know, just a group of people getting together and playing songs and singing songs. That was in the fall of 2009. And one thing led to another. I started a festival called Mighty Uke Day in 2011, named after a, a Canadian documentary on the ukulele. Uh, and things just build up and build up. The festival became a success more and more over a few years and we started a nonprofit that supports ukulele programs in the schools then uh, stan from elderly and i started a ukulele and harmonica camp and then i also ended up uh, running a ukulele festival in uh, near woodstock new york at the ashoka nature center and i have another one up at uh, interlochen called Uktoberfest. And then we just started a new one in Cleveland a few weeks ago. So it's taken over my life, that's for sure. You are doing a lot of ukulele playing. And like you said, you used to be a guitar player. And when you yep. first started out, you were learning how to play the piano. So you've mastered a few different instruments in your lifetime. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the piano has gone away. I think if I sat down and did it, uh, really took it up again, I could pick it back up. But I still think in piano and I think musically because the piano just is laid right out in front of me, you know. And uh, but I played, of course, I was a teenager, you know, and I go, well, I got to play the guitar, you know. So 
Um, I played in a variety of bands, um, most notably one called Mystic Shake that we were together about 25 years and did all kinds of world beat uh, music and played at uh, different festivals and outdoor things around the area here. Um, and uh, then that, the ukulele was easy to gravitate to because the highest four strings of a guitar and the highest four strings of an ukulele are very similar. If you took a capo and put it on the fifth fret on a guitar, you have the same tuning as an ukulele. So you're using the same chord shapes or just different chords. So a uh, D chord on a guitar is a G chord on an ukulele. Uh, F chord, let me think, let me get this straight. The F chord on an ukulele is like the C chord on a guitar. So, so that it's, it's, you know, you just have to wrap your head around it a little bit, but you can pretty much go either way on, you know, from ukulele to guitar and back again, if you'd like, you know, so. How long did it take you to master the ukulele? Well, I would not say I'm a master of the ukulele because. But you're an ambassador of it. I'm the ambassador of it. If you can't be the master, you be the ambassador, right? Yeah, so but, that's like, uh, uh, that, I think that's the right way in the pecking <laughs> order. <laughs> but uh, um, no, I mean, there's some some of the best musicians I've ever seen on any instrument play ukulele. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it the ukulele was a little different because um, it's uh, it's something that you really see played together in groups quite a bit. Um, I always say it's the most folk of folk instruments because it brings folks together. I like that. And yeah, and that that's the beauty of it, uh, is that you can have a group of people, some just beginners, other that are very accomplished players and none of them, no one's trying to outdo each other. They're all, you know, really helping each other out, supportive of everybody. And, uh, it's kind of, I would say it's like a, you know, it's like a bowling league or a quilting club or um, the appeal to it is as much social as it is musical for so many people. Um, so it's an instrument that's easy to get started on. You know, you've got four, you've only got four strings. They're closer together. Um, you can play, there's a, a few chords you can play with just one finger. So it's easy to get going with. Um, but you here again, some of the finest musicians I've ever, ever seen are ukulele players. So you can take it as far as you want. Um, you know, it's a, a definitely a very legitimate musical instrument, contrary to some people's point of view. So I like, yeah. how you, I like how you brought uh, up the term bringing folks together because that's how you and I met back in February of this year. Absolutely. In addition to playing the ukulele, you go around the state teaching people how to play it. And when right. you teach these classes, what are some things that you want people to really understand about the ukulele? Well, the, uh, you know, as you know, you were in class there at uh, Lake Orion. Um, we, you know, I always go through a little brief history of the ukulele. And I do talk about how it's, how it is a, a communal instrument. Um, everywhere from, I show a little clip of the Mighty Uke movie. Uh, the one I was referring to before that our festival was named after. And you see all these people playing together. Even one of my favorite things is uh, there's a guy 
um, in Israel that runs a program called Ukuleles for Peace. And he has he has Israeli kids and Palestinian kids all playing ukulele together. So just think about that. You know, it's if I, I truly think if we could get more people around the world playing ukulele together, it would be a more peaceful place. But uh, when I'm teaching, you know, I try to get people started pretty quickly um, with a couple basic chords and some simple songs everybody knows. Um, we really focus on keeping a good rhythm. And there's a couple simple strums that you can uh, mix up to make the songs sound, uh, you know, to differentiate a different kind of like a, a Calypso song. You want to sound a little different than, a, you know, a standard rock and roll song or something, you know, and a lot of that's in the strum, you know, just so you can do a little different in the pattern and it can make it sound more like something from the islands rather than from Long Island, you know, so um there's there's some really you know usually i can get people playing three chords in an hour and if you know those three chords you can play just hundreds and hundreds of songs so and then you can just go from there that is so true because you had us playing many different songs just playing those three chords in that class i remember that vividly i think we went from singing about the lime and the coconut to, right. Uh, what was that other song you had us playing? I, I, well, we I, did. If we did, I usually start off with the C chord, and those we start off with some simple songs. We go to the C seventh, and we do the lime and the coconut and Electric Avenue. That was Shim it. Jimmy yep. Coco Bop, and you can play Chain of Fools by Aretha with that same chord, the C seventh chord. Then we go to the F, and we have some good two chord songs, and then you throw in the G seventh, and then you can play tons of you know, folk songs, rock songs, country songs. Um, so really, you learn three or four chords, and you're off to the races. It was just that simple, learning those three chords. And it took me a while for finger placement, too, because this Absolutely. is a lot smaller than the guitar. So yep. how yep. did you, as a guitar player for so many years, have to really adjust your finger pattern when playing uh, on well, the ukulele? Yeah, the you know, the thing with the ukulele is there's basically three different sizes that use the standard tuning. There's soprano, which is the small size, um, the traditional size, concert, which is a little bigger, and tenor, which is a little larger yet. They're all tuned the same, uh, but they're just a little larger in size. So I mainly play a tenor, uh, and it still is definitely smaller than a guitar neck. But, you know, I, it. I don't know. It wasn't too bad of an adjustment for me. And I found it works really well, obviously for kids, um, cause they have smaller hands and actually I work with a lot of senior groups and, uh, a, a lot of the players there, um, maybe in the sixties, you know, they had a flower in their hair and playing guitar and, you know, um, and then, they put it aside for, uh, you know, for work or a family or didn't find time for it. They try to pick it up again. And, you know, you're, you're younger than me, Duff. I know that, but all our hands, a lot of our things don't work as good as they used to, right? And your hands get a little arthritic and a little sore. So playing the ukulele is actually much easier than then the guitar you don't have to stretch as much you can play a lot of chords with one or two fingers uh so uh it, it really 
it really works out well. So I've had all these seniors come and uh, we've got three or four different senior groups here at senior centers in the Lansing area. And uh, they just love it. And they're so excited to make music again. You know, so many people, um, like I said, they played guitar or maybe even their families at home would sit around the piano and sing. Um, so it's a great way to rediscover music for so many people. Yeah. What is it like for you to bring that passion back to them for a couple of hours? Oh, I love it. I love it. It's so, you know, I, I, my biggest group is here in at the East Lansing, uh, senior center, the primetime senior center. We have a group called the PT strummers, the primetime strummers start out with a handful of people 10 years ago. And now it's blossomed into three different groups, which one of my students teaches the beginning and confident beginner group. And I teach the intermediate group. And uh, we've pre COVID, we had about 40 people in that class. Right now I've got, I teach it as a hybrid class. So I have 25 or so people in person that I'm also streaming it to another 10 people on zoom. And, uh, I'll tell you, I'll go in and I'll just be like tired or stressed out or whatever. And I, I'm going, Oh geez, I got to teach this class. Oh my goodness. And I get in there and I just get energized (laughs) and we all have so much fun and we all work really hard on trying to, you know, get the finer details, refine these songs, that we're going to play maybe at Mighty Uke Day or for a senior center or something like that. And uh, it really, it you know, it really perks me right back up. And I always tell them, I go, you know, I was really, I was really tired this morning, had a lot on my mind, and you guys just, you know, drove all that away. We just had it. We had a good time and we learned a lot. We've really become uh, quite quite an ohana which is the the uh, hawaiian word for family it is so awesome that not only can you bring them some joy but they bring that joy right back to you absolutely it's all about folks coming together for folk music they're the most supportive group of people and they're always willing to help out you know at the festivals or this or that or um yeah it's here again it's just it's building community through music and uh, I just try to go out and build more communities or a larger community. You know, it's a big tent we're all under. So it, it's interesting to me that you've only been doing this since 2009 when you first discovered it in Hawaii. Because right. when I met you, I would have thought you'd been doing this for decades now, but it really hasn't been that long. So well, it's clearly. Kinda, yeah, it, it kind of came at a kind of a at the right time in my life when I was ready for a change, I'd been a sales rep for years. That'll take um, some years off your life. Yeah. The high fi home theater, um, world. And I, I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I did teaching in that too, with sales training and things like that. Um, my background is I've got a degree in elementary ed and special ed, um, from Michigan state. And, um, but I was ready for a change and, uh, boy, this, it just popped up two things. I went on that trip to Hawaii and, uh, got hooked on the ukulele. And then I also went on a trip to Vietnam and taught for a couple of weeks, uh, folk music through, 
uh, English through folk music and American culture through folk music uh, at a sister school of Michigan States. And that also changed my life. And what ended up happening is I ended up teaching English as a second language. But then I also had what we called the International Ukulele Orchestra at the school. <laughs> so we had people from all around the world and wanted to learn English, wanted to work on pronunciation. And, you know, what better way to learn English than to sing songs? I mean, we all learned our ABCs through a song. Um, so it was that brought two of my passions together. And uh, it's just I, I just kind of took took the ukulele and ran with it, you know, and just uh, uh, I, I tried to say no to a lot of opportunities, but I'm not always too good, very good at that. So I keep doing more and more ukulele uh, projects and events, but I truly, truly enjoy it. Coming up, you'll hear the songs that earned Ben a spot among the many legends in baseball. You're listening to the best local sports podcast in Michigan, and that's a Duff set. If it's pizza night, Sheldon Street Pizza has got you covered. Sheldon's pizzas are always made fresh when you order them, and the readers of the Lake Orion Review have voted Sheldon's breadsticks as the best in Lake Orion. Stop by Sheldon Street Pizza at 3767 South Baldwin Road in Orion Township, or you can order online by visiting SheldonStreetPizza.com. Don't forget to try one of Sheldon's salads with his special blend of homemade salad dressings. He's also got some pretty tasty desserts as well. Sheldon Street Pizza. More than just pizza, it's the official pizza of a Duff set. If you are looking for a fun night out during the weekend here in Lake Orion, then stop by Fourth Coast Cider Works. Fourth Coast Cider Works is the place to be for hard cider in Oakland County. Located in the main entrance to Canterbury Village, Fourth Coast is quality craftsmanship, quality hard cider. Stop by Fourth Coast and try some of their many flavors on tap. You can also take some home in a can or a howler. Fourth Coast is open Thursday through Sunday. For a complete list of ciders and hours, go to fourthcoastciderworks.com. Fourth Coast Cider Works, the best hard cider is on the Fourth Coast. Not available for anyone under the age of 21. Please drink responsibly. Let's talk now about one of your other passions that we yes. haven't really touched on now, and that is the Detroit Tigers. That's right. Opening day is this week, and I'm sure you're pretty excited uh, for the baseball that is, season. Hard, isn't that hard to believe? Um, it, it's kind of funny because I love Michigan State basketball, okay? And, and my buddy and I went down to the two games in Columbus. We're all ready for this, you know, this past weekend, and of course – we didn't, we didn't win, 
but uh, so I always go and everybody's like, oh, oh, Michigan State. Oh. I go, well, what's great is baseball season's right around the corner. So um, baseball's truly my favorite game of uh, ever since I was a kid. Um, the first baseball game I went to was at Tiger Stadium back in the, I don't know, mid-60s. I was in the Cub Scouts. And uh, I went there. It was bat day. And we were in the lower deck out in left field. And I came home with the worst headache ever because everybody was just banging their bats. You know, this is when you got actual wooden bats. Like, I'm pretty sure they were regular size ones, not just the little ones. And, uh, you know, that first experience was like, oh, my goodness. But it still got me hooked. And uh, my favorite number is number six for good reason with the Tigers. Uh, my favorite ball player back in the day, Al Kaline. And, uh, but the thing about baseball I loved was it's, uh, it's the best radio game ever. You know, you don't have to be stuck in front of a TV watching it. You can just listen to it on the radio and then you can, you can drive around or you can work out in the yard or do whatever else you're doing um, and still enjoy the game and follow the game. And I guess that's what got me hooked on Ernie Harwell. And then I made a lot of trips down to Tiger Stadium, down to the corner. And uh, both Ernie and the corner and the game itself were all all inspired me to write write music about it. So... Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, at Comerica Park last year, the only bats that I ever got from the ballpark were from last season, but they were plastic and full of beer. No headaches there, but, but <laughs> well, I've built a lot of memories anyway. at this ballpark, <laughs> just like you have at, at Tiger Stadium. My only experiences yeah. have been at Comerica Park. I've only lived in Michigan as long as you've loved the ukulele. I've been here since 2009. Oh, I'm originally okay. from Indiana. So right. my only experiences have been with Comerica Park. What do people really need to know about Tiger Stadium since there's really no way to go there and experience it now? The landscape right. is a lot different at the corner of Michigan and Trumbull yeah. Avenues Thank now. Thank goodness they're still playing baseball there. Exactly. Um, there there, there but, is still that element there. Absolutely. But it's you know, it's not the same. I mean, the thing about Tiger Stadium is it opened on the um same day as Fenway which was, I don't know when, way before my time. But, uh, and some of the, actually both of their openings, the way I remember it is that they kind of got lost in the news of this uh, ship called the Titanic going down that same, that same, uh, same time. But, uh, you know, those old ballparks and, you know, we have, uh, uh, we still have two left, right? One which I'm guessing you went to quite a bit uh, in Chicago. But uh, haven't the, been uh, there yet. I still haven't been. I've only been by them. You never really. I I know, and I grew up in a Cubs house, so it's crazy to well, sound like uh, I haven't been to Wrigley yet. I, I've only been by it. I've never been there. It's on my bucket list. Yeah, well, I and I've certainly been to Wrigley and Fenway, and you know the old Yankee stadium and went to the last game at uh, Memorial park in Baltimore, the last game up at uh, 
the Brewers Stadium. You know, I've tried to go to some of these last games, but there's something about the old parks that you just can't replicate. Um, in my song, The Corner, uh, that I wrote about Tiger Stadium, it talks about walking up the ramp into the bleachers, which was my favorite place to sit, and just seeing that beautiful big green field. You know, it was like, uh, it was just this, it was a whole different world. You'd go there and, and, you know, some of the old, old fields, they had their own peculiarities. I mean, you know, there was probably a lot of beer and hot dogs and this and that, um, all the residue of that around the ballpark. And of course they had the tiger stadium had the old trough urinals. <laughs> um, all I did experience there. those at the Joe. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, and at Fulton uh, County Stadium in Atlanta, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. I hadn't been to there. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, there's uh, baseball is a traditional sport. You know, I mean, they obviously they're trying to update things. And uh, this year they've got a bunch of new rules and this and that. But it still has that tradition, I think, more than any other sport that I can think of. Um, and, uh, there's something about going into those classic parks that really bring that home to you and that, that you can't really replicate. You can make, you can build a new park and, you know, give it some vintage type accoutrements and, you know, make it look like this or this or that, but it's never quite the same. Um, and it can be like Comerica park. There's nothing wrong with Comerica park. But for me, and probably a lot of other people I know, it doesn't have that same uh, specialness, I think, that uh, that Tiger Stadium does for us. Now, like you were saying, if that's the only one you went to, then maybe when they build some other new park in 30 years or something, you know, you'll be going, oh, man, this new park's nice, but oh, I remember Comerica Park. So it really kind of depends, I think, what you grew up with, uh, what the, uh, like I said, it's a traditional game. And I think those traditions and those old memories and that, I think they die, die pretty hard for baseball fans. And, you know, living here in Lake Orion, I get a lot of that from Pistons fans that were so attached to the Palace that have decided not to go see the Pistons at Little Caesars <laughs> Arena because they felt so right. connected to the Palace. I never yeah. realized just how much of a love affair this city had with the Palace, even though their basketball team was about 40 minutes from downtown Detroit. It was, It's right. interesting how this town really connects to its old ballparks. And I've talked to a lot of people, of course, on this podcast that had that same connection with the Silverdome and going to see the Lions there. So it's interesting how all of these old stadiums and ballparks have really resonated with the communities that they represent here in Michigan. Well, it's funny. I was talking to somebody about the Palace the other day. I mean, the Palace got torn down. And it was perfectly good, I think. Um, I remember going, I have have not gone to too many Pistons games, but the ones I went to were in the Silver Dome, which was not the, the most wonderful curtain. place to, yeah, to watch a basketball game. But I did go in some of the bad boys days, so those were good. Um, you know, in football, of course, you'll run into some people that remember seeing them in Brick Stadium, um, which was really about the last time I, I, I mentioned it in, in my song, The Corner, <laughs> the last time the uh, Lions uh, 
were really <laughs> really won anything. I think it was 1957. Um, and they so, were still waiting. Yes, I know. And right now we're kind of waiting on all our Detroit teams. But uh, And the Red Wings, of course, too. I mean, you'll get people that just swear by Olympia, you know, and the Joe. And, uh, of course, now they're at Little Caesars. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there, you know, I, a lot of sports, uh, you get, you get attached to where they play as much as, um, the team itself. Um, and I, like I said, I think that's probably maybe most true with baseball, probably hockey too. Um, you know, I, like I said, I know people that, oh, Olympia. Yeah. You know, nothing like Olympia. So I got a funny story about the Olympia, actually. Uh, yeah. When we first moved to Michigan, my wife and I, my wife's originally from Michigan, so she brought me back with her to Michigan when she got a job up here. I moved here from Indiana in 2009. And so I, one of the things that I did was I adopted the Red Wings as my hockey team. And then I got to meet a lot of Red Wings legends, and that includes Ted Lindsay. And we were living in Marine City for the first uh, eight years of our time here living together as a couple here in Michigan. And we got to meet Ted Lindsay. He did an signing event uh, back in 2012. And we had this sign for him to uh, autograph for us. He looks at it and he says, oh, this is a neat sign. Did you get this at the Olympia? And I was like, yeah. no, we got it at Meyer. <laughs> the Olympia has been gone for a few years now. <laughs> But that made him laugh, and he was such a great guy. And another one of those people that just Detroiters uh, identify as like an ambassador, just like you're Michigan's ukulele ambassador. He and Gordie Howe were like the ambassadors for hockey for not just the city but the whole sport. Yep. And, you know, Ernie Harwell was for the the Tigers and for baseball um, itself, you know. Um, Ernie Harwell was one of those guys that – you know, sometimes you you certainly idolize, you know, your heroes, right? It, whether they're sports heroes, broadcasters, actors, musicians, and a lot of times they don't live up to your um, to your thoughts about them. But Ernie Harwell is one of those guys. He did. He he was like I always say he was like everybody's favorite grandfather, you know. And he had that soothing voice and all his little mannerisms. And then when you met him in person. That's the way he was, if not even more so. What was um, it like to get to meet Ernie? Well, I, it was kind of interesting because I wrote wrote this. I wrote a song about him called "The Voice of Summer," and um, about uh, you know it starts out with the first voices I remember were those of my mom and dad. The second voice turned out to be the best friend I ever had, and it incorporates a lot of his little sayings. Um, in in the lyrics of the song and uh, I finally got to meet him at a he was doing a book signing um, in Okemos here just outside of Lansing and uh, I I introduced myself and uh, he had heard he had heard my song The Voice of Summer because the original version of it I had left off at the you know, at the booth at Tiger Stadium one time. And uh, so we talked about it. He was a songwriter. And uh, he wrote in the book to Ben the Baseball Balladeer, <laughs> which I'm going, wow, coming from Ernie, that's something else. And uh, 
and then I would run into him like in just some, I ran into him at the Best Buy in Novi once. He was looking for a new computer. I'm like, Ernie, what are you doing? Oh, I need a new computer, you know. So, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, he was, you know, he was really just a regular guy and the kindest, most generous guy. Um, he's got, uh, there's a great story about him. Um, when his, when it was his wife, uh, Lulu bought him, Oh, he had had some, the old Tiger Stadium seats, which were the green wooden ones. Um, they might have even been Briggs Stadium, but um, maybe they were there at the early days of when it was called Tiger Stadium, too. And for his, it was his birthday or his anniversary or something, and his wife says, Ernie, I just gave you the best, I just did this very special thing for you. And she took these vintage green seats and she had them all refinished and painted black <laughs> oh no was, the wrong color yeah it was yeah it was like blasphemy you know and he just looked at him and he's like thank you honey <laughs> well thank you for this wonderful gift even though <laughs> right. they're the wrong color <laughs> but uh he uh that's just the kind of guy he was when i hit that song the voice of summer like i said i I had written it back in the days when uh, Tom Monahan owned the team and they were talking about um, how the, how we needed to go in a different direction. And Ernie got fired actually from the broadcasting booth. And I first wrote back then a version of the voice of summer and later in the, uh, when was that the early 200s 2000s not 200s i'm not that old the 2000s um the band i was in mystic shake we i updated the song and we re-recorded it because he was going to retire that year and uh, i dropped a cd off at the uh, at the booth i didn't get a chance to say anything to him but i dropped a cd off at the booth and the next day i was at one of my uh accounts one of my hi-fi accounts and i i got this call on my phone i was you know talking to the owner of the store and we we're talking about you know some new receiver or whatever and uh i got this call and i picked it up and i go hi you know hi this is ben i didn't recognize the number and he goes well hello ben this is ernie harwell and i'm like oh my god and mm -hmm. uh so the guy at the counter, I said, uh, you know, I said, uh, give me a minute. I'm Ernie Harwell's on the phone. They're like going, Ernie Harwell? The and, Ernie uh, Harwell? Yeah, the Ernie Harwell. And uh, so he just he just said, I just want to take a moment and tell you, you know, how much I really enjoyed that recording of your song. It's really special to me and this and that. And I just wanted to thank you so much, you know, for taking the time to write something like that. And I'm just thinking, you know, I just was like, oh, well, I just want to thank you so much for, you know, being such a part of my life all these years. And uh, that's just the kind of guy he was. I mean, and he actually sent me, I, before when I had talked to him, he sent me a typewritten list of these songs he wrote. You know, there were like some country songs, a couple different people, had recorded and things none were big hits or anything but he took the time to type me out on a on a typewriter you know um a list of the songs he wrote from one songwriter to another 
which is quite special. Could you ever have imagined that somebody that was a voice for your summer that was always telling you what your tigers were up to also had the same passions as you? Yeah. When it came to music. I, right. No, I had no idea. Um, I guess I kind of heard it a, about it a little bit before, but no, he, it was a list of like, I don't know, 20 songs that he had written. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, music's just one of those things. A lot of people, um, a lot of people are, uh, have talents in music that you don't necessarily know about. And sometimes you'll never know about them because they're just for their own enjoyment. And, uh, no, I, I, w- I felt real honored he shared that with me. I don't, I, I don't think a lot of people knew about his, his songwriting, you know, prowess. So that is something I have never heard about. So I'm glad you were able to share that with me today. And right now I would like to share this song that you wrote about Ernie. This is called the voice of summer. I remember were those of my mom and dad The second voice turned out to be the best friend I ever had Everywhere I'd go and everything I'd do I was never far from my radio Listening to the orange and blue And the voice of summer He's calling on my radio What I'd ever do without him I don't want to know I guess that I'd be left there Standing like a house by the side of the road Without the voice of summer on my radio He followed me through high school And on to college too That night I cried when my grandfather died He was there to fill his shoes Learned so much about the game from the stories he would share When I couldn't make it to the park He'd make me feel like I was there The voice of summer He's calling on my radio What I'd ever Without him, I don't want to know I guess that I'd be left there standing Like a house by the side of the road Without the voice of summer on my radio Well, I was staying up past my bedtime Praying for some instant runs 
wondering how he ever knew where all the people in the park were from. Now the times, they are a-changing. Nothing seems to be the same No more crowds at Michigan and Trumbull And only millionaires play the game But some things should last forever At least that's how I'd like them to stay I'll hear Ernie inside my head Every time I watch the Tigers play the voice of summer He's calling on my radio What I'd ever do without him I don't want to know I guess that I'd be left there Standing like a house by the side of the road Without the Voice of summer, yeah, he's a voice of summer on my radio. He's a voice of summer. If it's pizza night, Sheldon Street Pizza has got you covered. But if you're sticking to salad, be sure to cover it in one of Sheldon's signature dressings. Sheldon Street Pizza now has homemade ranch, Italian, and Greek salad dressings bottled up and ready for purchase. You can also order a freshly prepared salad from Sheldon because at Sheldon Street Pizza, it's more than just pizza. Order today by calling 248-791-7111 or you can visit them online at sheldonstreetpizza.com or just stop by 3767 South Baldwin Road in Orion Township. If it's pizza time, it's time to go to Sheldon Street Pizza. And that's a tough said. You had another song that we talked about earlier. This was called The Corner, and this is right. about your love for Tiger Stadium. When did you start to write that song? Uh, that one I wrote. Uh, so the last game at Tiger Stadium was in uh, the fall of 1999, and I had written it. I wrote it after that. Um, I had written another song a long time ago called... Uh, Save Tiger Stadium uh, back when I was involved with the uh, Tiger Stadium fan club. And uh, the, uh, um, you know, it was okay. It was kind of pretty hokey. But, you know, then when they were going to tear, tear down the stadium or they were going to have the last game at the stadium, we still didn't quite know the fate of it. Um, I wrote the voices or I wrote the corner. Um, I think the year after they uh, they had the last game in 1999, um, and then then I recorded it uh, with uh, 
my longtime musical partner, uh, Pat Malloy. And uh, then we made a video of it in front of Tiger Stadium as the bulldozers were knocking it down. So it made it all the more poignant. What do you remember about that last game at Tiger Stadium? I, you know, it, it's I, I talk about it quite a bit in the song, actually. And uh, there's uh, some little things in there about, uh, let's see, I actually pulled up the words here. The, uh, well, you know, the whole, actually the whole song, it just starts about uh, the his some of the history, people who played there. Uh, Nelson Mandela gave a speech there back in the day. It's got a line about the last time the lions roared was in her arms, which is what I referred to before. Um, the last time they won anything really was 1957 when they played at Tiger Stadium. And, uh, you know, my memories of going up into the bleacher seats walking up and seeing that green field and uh, the smells and chicken dance and everything else. But at the, the I've got the, uh, the final verses. If you don't mind, I'll just read them to you. Um, yeah, and then I'll that, go ahead and play them for you too. Yeah, I was at that last game in 99. I gave her a big old hug for the very last time. The Tiger Stadium fan club, one of the big things we did was hug the stadium. Everybody joined hands all around the outside of Tigers Stadium. And uh, the players wore the number of the Tigers greats. So the, the players all had different uniforms. You know, someone had K-Line, someone had Cobbs, of course, which didn't have a number. You know, Willie Hortons, who was whoever. And uh, Fick hit that slam to seal the Royals' fate. Robert Fick hit a grand slam in that game. And I had someone actually send me a note about this he goes he said this is probably the only song a baseball song that has robert Fick's name <laughs> but uh, at the end end of the song it really comes down and i say i didn't leave till long after they shut down the lights i couldn't bear to tell the old gal good night the new girl's sexy but she ain't the same i guess that's just the nature of the game there's no longer any doubt it's the last at bat the final out and uh, I remember just sitting there for the longest time after the game was over, you know, just taking in those those last minutes I had at the park. Um, so I, I tried to put as much of that into the song as I could. My memories, um, old and new. So, Well, let's take a listen to it right now. This is a okay. song by Ben Hassinger. It is called The Corner. There's a lady who's seen better days Ninety years old, feeling and gray Her memories are of men she entertained Cobb, Ruth, and K-Line, just a few of the names Mandela came full of grace and charm Last time the lion's roared was in her arms Sparkled like the queen of diamonds in the summer sky 
She could make a rookie smile An old pro cry Just blocks away From the new girl on the street Rusty metal Crumbling concrete Ebbets Field Polo Grounds Park. They're all torn down Everything good Comes to an end I won't forget you Tiger Stadium I remember when I first sat in those bleacher seats Walked up that ramp A new world opened up to me Sun shone bright on that emerald green. It was nothing like I'd ever seen. It smelled of old hot dogs, cigars, and beer. Transistor radio was at my ear. We do the chicken dance, stand up and wave. Friends, they're still my friends today. After church on Sunday, I'd be in the stands praying for my tigers with all the other fans. Heaven's field, polo grounds, Kiski Park, they're all torn down. Everything. Get you, Tiger Stadium. I was at that last game in '99. Gave her a big old hug for the very last time. Players wore the numbers of the Tiger greats. Vic hit that slam to seal the Royals' fate. Didn't leave till long after they shut down the lights. Couldn't bear to tell the old gal goodnight. The new girl's sexy, but she ain't the same. I guess that's just the nature of the game. There's no longer any doubt. It's the last at bat, the final out. Evans Field, Polo Grounds, Kiski Park, they're all torn down. Everything good comes to an end. I won't forget you, Tiger Stadium. Everything good comes to an end. Fourth Coast Cider Works is the place to be for hard cider in Oakland County. Located in the main entrance to Canterbury Village, Fourth Coast is quality craftsmanship, quality hard cider. 
Stop by Fourth Coast and try some of their many flavors on tap. You can also take some home in a can or a howler. Fourth Coast is open Thursday through Sunday. For a complete list of ciders and hours, go to fourthcoastciderworks.com. The best hard cider is on the Fourth Coast. And that's a Duff said. Not available for anybody under the age of 21. Please drink responsibly. Like a lot of people, I'm sure you were at that final game, and it probably took you a few minutes to really take all this in and realize this is the final time that you're going to be sitting at Tiger Stadium, the last game, the last out, the last trip home. What do you remember about that experience as you're walking to your car at that moment, and then suddenly Tiger Stadium is just in your rearview mirror? Uh yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's it was still a little hard to believe. I think you know that I was not going to be going back there to watch a baseball game, and when I was there, I made a point to sit in pretty much every section I could of the ballpark. Like every inning, I'd move around. The place wasn't full, believe it or not, but I I try to I try to move all around the ballpark and watch it from all the different angles I could, and uh, yeah, I just left and. It's. I don't even think it really hit me until you know I really got home the next day, even and just thinking, "Wow, that was the last time I'll ever be in Tiger Stadium." And you know, and what's this new place going to be like? You know, so um, and of course, you know, it was the end of the end of the century. You know, there were, it was it was a real turnover in so many ways. Um, a transition in so many ways. So this was this was a big part of it. Then you get Comerica Park, which not only has kind of like the same dimensions in the outfield, it's a long way to center field from home plate. All of a sudden, they added something new. They added a Ferris wheel. Uh, surely you've got a song <laughs> or a lyric to you know what? sing about I was, that Ferris wheel. I, I was actually going to fit something in about that in this song, and then I just thought, well, you know, that's, that's, that was actually, I think I had a line about it and it just got edited out and well, it just goes to show that, um, you know, is more about entertainment maybe than baseball in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, people, people give baseball a hard time and, oh, it's too slow and it's this and that. And there's, to me, there's just a beauty about baseball. I love the pace of baseball. Um, and I think there's, there's no, uh, there's no surprise that, you know, there are more poems and books and songs written about baseball than any other sport, uh, because it's, it's, it's more of a literary, I don't know, literary, or I don't want to say it's more of a thinking person sport. Um, but there's just some about it that, uh, it's a more traditional sport for, uh, so many people and baseball fans too are unlike so many other fans. Um, they, they just hold on to that tr- tradition in so many ways. Um, and they come in. I, I just, I've talked to so many people, just all uh, people I would never expect are baseball fans, but they grew up 
loving the Tigers because their parents love the Tigers and their grandparents love the Tigers. And it's, it's something that really gets passed down uh, generation to generation. I don't know. Maybe other sports have that as much, too. I'm just more tied into baseball than anything else. Um, but uh, it, it, I don't know. There's seems like there's more of a family history and things with, with the love of baseball. Um, the uh, I don't know. Everything doesn't have to be new and fancy, you know, and everything doesn't have to be fast and uh i don't know that's that's i for me baseball is just just like uh reading a good book i guess you know it sounds like you were the perfect guy then to write these songs about the detroit tigers when did you start performing these songs out in public and how did people react to them oh people you know i i still play I don't play the voice of summer as much as I used to because we recorded that more with an electric band and the corner, the corner is kind of easier to play on my ukulele or just with a duo. Um, but either song, especially the corner, I'll be up my family, my uh, father's side of the family's from Ishpeming in the upper peninsula. And Home of the Hematites. A, there you go. And it was Tom Izzo's first coaching job. <laughs> but uh we went up there uh i've still we've got a house up there and that i spend a lot of time in the summer and i play in some little uh coffee shops and stuff up there and it never fails i'll play the corner and people come up and they just share their memories of it with me and uh it, it never fails i can be kind of anywhere i've played it in chicago before at, at Un uncommon ground um, in Chicago and Tigers fans, there's Tigers fans like everywhere. Um, so just, I think so many people, you know, have left Michigan, gone to other places. You, you went the opposite way. And I think a lot more people are going to start doing that too. But, um, anywhere you go, um, you can play, uh, you can wear a Tigers hat or whatever. And people are going to come up. Yeah. I used to live in Detroit or I lived in Grand Rapids and we'd drive across the state, go see the Tigers and, um, so it brings back a lot of good memories to a lot of people. Uh, so yeah, the reaction, and they always like the little, uh, little things either in the voice of summer or tiger stadium, little, uh, references to something Ernie would say, or something, you know, there at, uh, at tiger stadium, something that brings back those, those special memories. When did you get the news that these songs were going to be enshrined in the Baseball well, Hall of Fame? So, <clears throat> I've got a uh, <clears throat> good friend uh, named Chuck Brodsky who writes, he he is the true baseball balladeer. Um, he's written so many, he grew up in Philly. He's got great songs about uh, the Phillies and uh, he's got songs about uh he's got so many great songs he's he's got one song i forget the name of it but it's about it's about a uh a, a team on death row in prison and uh it's basically telling the pitcher you know if you don't win the game your date comes up tomorrow if you do win the game you know we'll delay that date you know so talk about pressure right um, 
he he finds these great angles on baseball and uh, these very uh, unknown stories and that. But anyway, he was telling me he's got songs in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He's going, you should bring these songs to the Baseball Hall of Fame. So I was out, uh, I was driving through New York and I was actually, I run a, a uh, was this when I was doing this or, I know, I was a rep for uh, Macintosh uh, Electronics and they're in Binghamton, New York, which isn't too far away from Cooperstown. So I was going there for work to visit the factory and I go, well, you know, I'm not that far from Cooperstown. So I went there and I had these songs on a, uh, just a home burn CD. Well, no, the voice of summer, I'm sorry. The corner was on, no, they were both on a burn CD. So I stopped by there and, uh, Chuck had told me who to ask for. And, um, uh, the, uh, the person that takes care of the archives. And so I went in and said, Hey, I, like to talk to so-and-so I have a couple of baseball songs I'd like to share with him so I went and talked to him and it turns out he goes so you were at the last game at Tiger Stadium I go yeah so he took this he was there too he was a Tigers fan turns out and he had this panoramic view of the last game and he goes anyone that comes in here that was at the last game I I have them sign the picture so he flipped it over on the back and I signed my name right under Ernie's name well, that's perfect. <laughs> that was very cool. So anyway, he goes, he took a listen to the songs. He goes, well, you know, he, he had to bring them up to the board. You know, whoever decides what goes into the Hall of Fame goes, I might, you know, it'll take a while. And this and that. I go, well, I'm just, I just want to share them with you. You know, I really didn't have any expectations. And I was happy to sign that picture and, you know, drove home feeling pretty good about it all. And um, it was about... I don't know, like five, six months later. I mean, I kind of had forgotten about it somewhat. And uh, I got a letter and said, your songs have been accepted into the archives of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And I'm like, wow. I was like, and I got in without steroids. How about that? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, so anyway, that was, I think, that my two greatest musical moments, aside from being the ukulele ambassador of Michigan, are when my songs got accepted in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and another parody song I wrote was played on the Doctor Demento show. I mean, where do you go from there, really? <laughs> yeah, you pretty much have uh, done it all at this point. Once Keep you... those Grammy awards. Who needs those, right? Yeah, but what is it like to know that after being such a huge fan of the Tigers and having taken up these musical instruments and trying to share that with everybody in the world, you have your own place in the Baseball Hall of Fame? It's, you know, it's really cool. It's something I can say that, you know, I don't have a lot of other friends that could say that. Um, and, you know, it's not like I have a plaque or anything in there. You know, it's just one of those things if you searched on, maybe the history of tiger stadium or this or that, it would pop up in the list of resources, you know, to check out. Um, but no, I, I, it's pretty cool. I, 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 that's, that's a thing to put in my obituary someday, you know? Um, but no, it's, it's an honor. It's an honor. Uh, 
Well, just keep writing those songs, though, because I've heard these two and I really enjoyed them. And I'm thankful that you were uh, willing to share those with my audience here on my podcast. Have you got any uh, other performances coming up where you might be uh, playing these songs? Well, uh, right now I'm in the middle of I've got I'm I'm going to Italy in a couple weeks. Uh, We've got a, a little family over there. And then when I get back, I have four festivals that I am ho- putting on and hosting within the next, I'm sorry, three festivals within the next seven weeks. <laughs> so I haven't really booked uh, any gigs after that, but after mid-July, um, our my trio, the Ukulele Kings, will be out um, playing a variety of gigs. We do a lot of educational-type things, libraries, um, a couple other ukulele festivals around and depending on um we will throw the usually throw the corner in somewhere but uh, um we also have a lot of other original songs we've written and uh you know cd that came out a couple years ago so we do focus more on that mostly i end up playing the corner when i'm out by myself playing in a coffee shop up in Munising or Marquette or something like that, you know. I love those cities. Those are perfect places to go and play the ukulele. I've been to a number Absolutely. of shops in there. I love those towns. I love going to yep. the UP to to Munising because they have that amazing view right on the hill overlooking Lake Superior. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and then Marquette, I work a lot with the Hiawatha Music Co-op up there. So um so yeah, there's opportunities. Uh I don't pull them out and play them as much as I do a lot of other things. But every once in a while, it just seems right. You know, here comes the corner. Here comes the voice of summer. And uh, people, it brings back, like I said, I'll be in the UP and there's always somebody from downstate up there that spent some time at Tiger Stadium. So Now, do you ever perform on like opening day? Like maybe you take up a corner along the avenues well, or outside no, America? No, I haven't done that. But what I did was when Ernie died, um, his body lay in state at Comerica Park. So I took my guitar. I've got a, a blue carbon fiber guitar with a Detroit Tigers D on it, the old English D. I've seen the pictures of that. That is really cool. Yeah. And I, I played I played uh, The Voice of Summer and The Corner and some other baseball songs in there for like a couple hours and I had people come up actually on the it's I think it's on the voice of summer uh video link there's there's some comment hey I just saw you at Ernie's you know viewing at Comerica Park you know um so yeah that was just my way to pay tribute to Ernie and the Tigers and yeah I just you know I didn't want to get in the way of people waiting in line so I just kind of stood across the street close enough to the park. And I had a lot of great conversations with people. That's what I loved was people telling me about their, their dad or their grandma or whoever, you know, Oh, they took me to my first Tigers game and I've been a fan ever since. And, you know, a lot of stories about, like I was saying before, there's, it's one of those uh, love, the love of the Tigers seems to get passed down from generation to generation. And so a lot of people shared those stories with me, which was really nice. Are you going to be coming to some games this summer? I hope so. You know, um, I mean, 
when they were at Tiger Stadium, I would go to, you know, probably 20 games a year in the summer. Uh, and then when they moved to Comerica Park, it was kind of more like, I don't know, four or five games a year. And then, of course, the last few years, for a lot of reasons, <laughs> I haven't been to any games. Uh, but I've got a couple of my friends in Detroit. I like to meet up with them and go to games. So my plan this year is really to get to at least five games. I have a very good friend in town that that uh, happens to be a Yankees fan, but he's a good friend anyway. And we like to go when the uh, when the Yankees are in town. So we can each wear, I can wear my Tigers hat and he can wear his horrible Yankees hat. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we can have some fun. I feel the same way. The game. <laughs> Oh, geez. the evil empire that's that's up there so but uh anyway and then i've got another co- other couple friends that are pretty good uh red sox fans so sometimes we'll try to try to go to a red sox game together too and i've gone to see him i saw him play at wrigley uh the tigers um i've seen him well i, I saw him at uh um there's a couple games well it was the last i'm trying to think if it was the last game at memorial field the tigers played I'm pretty sure I may be wrong. Um, but that was one that I, I slipped a note up to Ernie Harwell and uh, said, Hey, Ernie, I just want to let you know that Ben Hassinger, the baseball balladeer, is here at the park. And apparently he had said something about it on the radio because I had a friend. Um, well, we didn't have texting back then, but I guess they called me and said, Hey, I just, Ernie Harwell just said your name on the radio. Were you at the game in Baltimore? I go, yeah, yeah. I, I can so, see how uh, that went, too. He probably said something along the lines of, and we welcome Ben Hassinger right. to, from Lansing to the ballpark right. today. Hope he's right. having a good time out there in Section 334. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that's a line in The Voice of Summer, uh, how as a kid I wondered how he knew where everybody in the park was from. You know, because he'd always go, and a man from Hamtramck caught that foul ball. And I'd, go, I'd be there as a little kid going, well, how's he know like where every everybody's sitting, you know, <laughs> where they're from? It's just one of those little charming things about him, you know. So, um, so yeah, a lot of great memories, and uh, uh, you know, kind of I they they're kept alive for me in in these songs and other people's other people's memories too. So. Well, thank you so much today for sharing all those memories with me. I appreciate you having you on as a guest. Where can people find some information about your upcoming ukulele festivals? Well, there's uh, one you can go to my website, which is benhassinger.com. And Hassinger is spelled just like passenger with an H instead of a P. Um, But the actual festival sites, one is mightyukeday.com. And that festival is coming up uh, June 23rd through 25th here in Lansing, well, in East Lansing. And we have uh, we have some great players from Hawaii. Uh, it's it's going to be a great festival. We have workshops, we have concerts, we have open mic and group strums and all kinds of things going on. And then other big one I I do is uh, Midwest Uke and Harmonica Camp. And that actually this year is going to be in, of all places, North Manchester, Indiana. You might know where that is. Oh, I've uh, been there Manchester a few times. University is um, just kind of southwest of Fort Wayne. 
So it's it's very central to Chicago. We've got people from all over the country coming to that. Um, that's a pretty big deal. And then I, I run the Ashokan Youth Fest, which is at the Ashokan Nature Center um, near Woodstock, New York. Uh, when is That's Memorial Day weekend. So, And then Yuktoberfest at Interlock in, in October. So lot lots going on. And uh, then we have the Lansing Area Ukulele Group or laugh um, here in Lansing, which is a big group of people get together once a month and play ukulele. So, Well, definitely, folks, if you're listening to this, take an opportunity to check out uh, Ook Day and all of these special ukulele festivals that Ben has got going on. And while you're there, share a few tiger stories with Ben. He loves to Absolutely. hear them. Absolutely. Absolutely. That'd be awesome. Ben Hassinger, thank you so much for making the time this week thank on you, Duff Said. Was- and go Tigers. Go Tigers. It was great to meet you at uh, at Lake Orion, and I expect to hear some ukulele music from you pretty soon. I'll work on that. Want to hear more episodes of A Duff Said? Then head over to my website, aduffsaid.com. If you would like to subscribe to this podcast, just head over to Podbean, Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Facebook. Just look me up. My handle there is sports journalist Duff Tyler. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, just hit me up at, wait for it, Duff Tyler. Our announcer this week was mid-Michigan sportscaster Sam Ali. All other announcements are done by Steve Gale, the best high school sports public address announcer here in the state of Michigan. And that's a wrap on this edition of A Duff Said. A reminder, we are closing in on the one-year anniversary of when Tigers owner Chris Illich declared that the rebuild for the Tigers was over. And then the Tigers promptly lost 96 games. There's frankly not much reason for optimism this season, so my question for you is, what do you think we are going to see first here in Detroit? A Tigers World Series title or the completion of District Detroit? Frankly, I'm not holding my breath for either one of those. Once again, I am Duff Tyler, and I am reminding you that if Duff said it, it must be true, because that's what a Duff said. Thanks for listening, folks. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here.